0: Welcome back, friends, fellow philosophers, to this Wild Isle podcast. I have with me a special guest, my fiance, JJ. How are you doing tonight? It's not nighttime. How are you doing today, JJ? Good. All right. Um, for the listeners who don't know anything about you, um, why don't you tell them about yourself? What brings you to this Wild Isle podcast today?
1: I'm going to crack up um, to talk about the myth of Sisyphus.
0: And why would you have any interest in some weird, dry, boring piece of French existentialist philosophy?
1: Because I heard um, people talk about it on a podcast where they were talking about how it was basically anti-suicide and I wanted to know why. So, yeah.
0: Uh, we won't dig or, dig deeper into that. What I was trying to do, what I was trying to prompt you to do is to tell everyone about your background a little bit so they could know a little bit more about you, um, your education, what you do, that kind of thing.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Okay, so um, I graduated from, should I say this, where? Okay, WVU um, with a multidisciplinary studies degree, which is combination of three minors that create one major. Um, the minors were philosophy, sociology, and psychology. I could not choose, honestly, which one I like the best. So I just chose them all <laughs> in decisiveness, I guess. Um, and now, um, I work in a job that, um, is labeled classroom liaison where I teach, um, pre-K, kindergarten, and first grade. Um, SEL, I'll just say it, SEL, which is social emotional learning, um, and it's part of an organization that's um, trauma informed elementary schools. So, yes.
0: Excellent. So that's where you had you gathered your original interest in uh, philosophy, particularly existentialist philosophy, right? Because. It kind of makes sense. You're dealing with uh, kids who probably are from troubled homes who are having a hard time dealing with themselves um and trying their best to teach them methods of coping with their emotional stress so they can be functional in the classroom and not this terrible disturbance and little tyrants and terrible devils.
1: Yes, and it's it's mainly um geared towards the super young children before they have concrete behaviors um that are unchangeable practically, without extensive intervention later in life. But if you get them early, then yeah, it's easier for them.
0: Yeah. So we're bringing some actual formal background and practice to bear um, here today on the podcast rather than mere, I don't know, armchair philosophy. Uh, Before we get into said armchair philosophy, I would like to send all of you over, as is tradition here on the Wild Isle podcast, um, over to my website, com. Why am I sending you there? Well, Friends, I want you to check out, first and foremost, when this goes live, which I believe will be rather soon, my Kickstarter campaign. That's right, I've got a Kickstarter campaign that's still going on for a couple more weeks by the time this releases. I'm trying to fund uh, book covers for a number of releases. I have already written a number of essentially novellas is really they're like short novellas more than they are of short stories i'm going to release them off in pairs a whole bunch of them and then i want to also do a little choose your own adventure book and that all requires commissioning quite a bit of art and i wanted to actually hire someone to do it so we go to my website wildiolit.com there's a gigantic button that'll take you to the kickstarter campaign i would really really appreciate it my two artists would also really really appreciate it And if you were to donate, to share the link around as much as you can so that we can reach our goal and fund this art um, and I can release these books and, you know, we can put more fiction and, you know, beautiful covers on that fiction into the world. While you're there, if you are an author and you're looking to sharpen your skills, check out the Wild Isle Style Guide. That's right. I work as as sort of like a line editor, but I think of it more like an educational experience. I impart to you what I got from my own master's program which is really like a one-on-one mentorship. Um, The best bet for that is the subscription plan. So it's a monthly payment, you can back that out of it anytime that you need to or would like to, and you get a um, certain amount of minutes consultation, per month, as well as a particular word count that you can then submit to me. I'll do stylistic line edits in accord with the style that you want to develop, and then we'll talk it through at the end of each month or whenever you want to schedule it so that you can build yourself as an author and your work and your manuscript toward the style that you really want to develop so you can stand out and not have sterilized generic prose. Also, while you're there, you can check out the rest of these podcasts, a bunch of uh, audio stuff as well. I have my excerpts and stories section, my essays that I'm posting to weekly. I'm going to be adding audio to those as much as I can. Um, It's all awesome. It's all there. You can also find my novel, *Wand Smoke Broken. Uh, which is a weird fantasy fiction. Uh, I've been told, I always said it kind of reads a little bit like a Western, but I've been told Victorian is a little bit more accurate and I've been going on too long. But I do want to point out if you'd like to support me in general, check out the support section on Um If you want to throw a dollar or so my way a month, that would be much appreciated. I'm just going to be producing stuff, pushing it on the website. For free, for your enjoyment. And so I want to continue to be able to do that alongside my other works. And to do that, I need some form of income so I can continue to eat and pay for the website and do a bunch of other things. Now, with that out of the way, let us talk about the myth of Sisyphus. So, for those of you who don't know, the myth of Sisyphus is a particular essay written by, um, or is it Albert or Albus Camus? I was right. I think it's Albert Camus. Um, yep, yeah, Albert was a T. I don't know why I thought Albus. I think it's because we just finished the <laughs> Harry Potter movies, Albus Dumbledore. Uh, but Albert Camus, French philosopher, existentialist. Um, and he, let's say, reframes the mythological story or stories of Sisyphus. Um, now, for those of you who don't know the, in short, the myth of Sisyphus, he um, essentially tricked the gods and tried to cheat death a few times and for that crime was thrown into hades and cursed to push a rock up a hill Um, and right before he reaches the top of the hill the rock magically rolls back down and he must go back down to the bottom of the hill and roll it up for all time Um, and that is his punishment for his sins now camus frames this differently than the story is clearly intended to be framed JJ, why don't you, as best you can, summarize how you felt Camus wanted us to think about Sisyphus and his curse?
1: As if he was um, a moral, higher moral being for enduring and continuing in his suffering despite it being suffering.
0: So, are we talking like the. uh, like the, that reminds me that particular interpretation of the Stoics, right? Like this is um, this is the path for me with with life. This is the hand I was dealt, and therefore um, I'm going to accept it and live with it in accordance with nature. Is that? Um,
1: it's a guise. That is what he tries to paint it as, but it is false in the way that well, as. You did the background research. He isn't just doing the pushing of the rock to be moral. It's he's doing a punishment he fully deserves. So, and he's actually not enjoying it. He hates it, and he's forced to do it because um, he's stuck in hell.
0: Yeah, but but Camus definitely. Um... We'll go through here shortly, but definitely Camus, you mentioned a guise, like a disguise. like yeah. Camus is trying to hide something. Um,
1: he wants us to sympathize with him yeah. really badly.
0: Why? Because I definitely got that impression as well um, from the myth of Sisyphus, that really Camus himself sympathizes with Sisyphus as if he has something in common with him. And my... Curiosity is what is, what is fundamentally motivating Camus to frame himself as being like Sisyphus or in a state like Sisyphus, and why he wants to hide the fact that Sisyphus is actually miserable. Um, and we, we know that he thinks that by a particular line that we will get to. He, like, he you know, lets the mask slip off halfway through the essay and then puts it back on immediately.
1: I think in a way, um, it's him wanting to not feel bad for people in that position by pretending and convincing himself that they're happy. And instead of pitying people who are in bad situations that can't or won't get themselves out of it. He says, well, imagine them happy, so I don't have to feel bad for people who are in a worse position than me. Writing philosophy and traveling the world.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, do you think that he was thinking about – so you think he was thinking about others then? Yeah. Um, Because I get a different impression that really – he I thought that he was thinking about himself. Um we'll we'll like kind of skim through and, and read different sections for you, oh listeners, and we can see um he he perhaps is talking about both, to be to be honest. Um but for for those of you who don't know, we'll we'll look at the impressions that Camus has of Sisyphus and for what particular reasons, because I think right away in the essay he shows particular sympathies for things that i don't know that are actually sympathetic at all and that met, that's why i wonder if he isn't thinking about himself in his own guilty conscience he might be thinking about the guilty consciences of others mm-hmm. but we'll see so um very quickly we see that um he He says this, according to another tradition, however, he, Sisyphus, was disposed to practice the profession of a highwayman. I see no contradiction in this, right? So he's either the form on Homer saying he's clever, the wisest, and then he's a uh, highwayman in other interpretations. So he doesn't see um, a contradiction in Sisyphus being both the wisest man and also a highwayman, right? Like a person who attacks innocent victims along the way so they can rob them of their goods. I think... That right away probably says a little bit about Camus' character. Perhaps that he doesn't see the difference between the two. Like you can be just like a murderous thug and also the wisest man. Um, we, if we read onward, um, he says that opinions differ. Um, he talks about essentially the, the primary crime that Sisyphus committed. Uh, I'll, I'll summarize that, which is you know, Zeus kidnapped a different, the different river god's daughter. Um, that river god came to Sisyphus and said, Hey, where's my daughter? He uh, betrayed Zeus's secret to the river god and for this was punished by Zeus, along with a, a bunch of other crimes that he had happened to commit, um, hence the highwayman. And he was he was punished, uh, let's see, uh, and multiple times. Sisyphus was also the guy who got chained to the rocks, if you've ever heard of that phrase, chained to the rocks. That's him, um, where he tricked Hades in death and ended up basically, Hades called on Ares, the god of war, to come down to save him, um, which says a lot, right? So let's just talk about those mythologically before I, I delve on too far. Because I think the crimes of Sisyphus are, are important to understanding the myth itself. So what do you think, JJ, in terms of um an interpretation of we've got which is Zeus in the I can't remember the name, but the river god, uh it's like Oedipus or something. Uh it's not Oedipus like Oedipus Rex, but it sounds similar. But what do you think it means that Sisyphus betrays Zeus and Zeus's secret? to this other smaller god, um, and then he gets punished for it. What do you think that really means?
1: Well, I'm more thinking about how it sounds like he's enabled by another god, and then how he continues down the path of making worse mistakes after he's enabled, after the punishment is attempted, and then... Just keeps going down that bad path because somebody enabled him. You know?
0: Um, yeah, there's the opportunity given by the river god to betray Zeus. Um, do you think that there's any importance in the spherical arrangement of the gods here? Because, like, Zeus is like the pantheon leader, right? The highest god in the Greek pantheon. And this river god I've ever heard of before, the fact that he's god of a river suggests that he's not all that important Mm um you know you know i would see that there's some mythological significance in betraying that which is higher for that which is lower for your immediate benefit because what he he asks, he basically says the river god i'll tell you but i'll tell you if you guarantee water to my city um and so he has a kind of selfish aim as the king of the the city he's king of but uh but he's king of the city that he he pulls water toward for the from the river god yeah so do you also see any any significance in that uh or am i trying to stretch things here when i'm saying there is
1: that makes me think of people who don't take criticism or instruction from authority very well and it's because They are envious of those who are higher than them. And by even just, by even following an order, it makes them aware of their lower position and status. So they're disobeying, so they don't have to be made aware of the power distribution.
0: So yeah, disobedience so that he can be unaware of it,
1: and um, denial of it.
0: I almost feel like he's trying to get back at the at the at the gods, right? Like, um, and Camus might even say this about Sisyphus. Like he he suggests that Sisyphus is in fact above the gods.
1: Yeah, that's what he's trying to assert. Yeah. yeah.
0: So it's like, almost like say dominance. It's like, I know you're the highest Zeus, but guess what? Or And even this river god, I'm going to make the river god work for me, and I'm going to stab you, Zeus, in the back um, in a way that I can be better than the gods, even, yeah. by doing so, um, which is a kind of crime of hubris, right, to say that I'm above the gods. Um, is there any...
1: It's like a child disobeying their parent, you know, just in defiance of their lower position and lack of authority and lack of power, you know?
0: Yeah, and, you know, he gets cast into Hades for that. Um, and let me see if I could skim through and find uh, Corinth, that's the city he is king of. Uh, okay, so we've got the, talking about the god of war. There's a particular section... Let's see if I can find it here um, where it ends with scorn. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll read this. This will be a bit of a bit of reading, but I think this. Um, there's actually a lot of things I'd I want to almost look at here. Um, where is it? Where he calls him the the proletarian? Because I kind of want to read that. I'll read this last paragraph since I've actually found it rather than making the listeners oh wait. Um okay, so it says, if this myth is tragic, that is because its hero is conscious. Where would his torture be indeed if at every step the hope of succeeding upheld him? The workman of today works every day in his life at the same tasks, and this fate is no less absurd but it is tragic only at the rare moments when it is or oh, sorry when it becomes conscious and i found it sisyphus proletarian of the gods powerless and rebellious knows the whole extent of his wretched condition it is what he thinks of during his descent the lucidity that was to constitute his torture at the same time crowns his victory there is no fate that cannot be surmounted by scorn I think that paragraph really highlights the truth of Camus' Camus attitude. Um, I'll I'll just ramble on it for a little bit. So he highlights the fact that Sisyphus is conscious. I don't know about you, JJ, but to me, that really, really, really smacks of um, essentially Marxism. And it, it makes me think of class. Consciousness. Um, if you are familiar with the particular terms, there was an idea that if the proletariat identified themselves as a class and thereby had their consciousness elevated to themselves as a class, that they could then rise up and essentially overthrow the powers that be. Um, and calling Sisyphus, like the, like, you know, one of the, what does he call him? The pro, something of the proletarian, uh, proletarian of the gods. That makes the gods like the bourgeoisie, right? He is the proletarian, the laborer of those beings that um, they own the means of production because they're the people who create the world, right? Create the conditions of the world. And there's an idea of scorn or resentment, right? At the relative unequal conditions and power. Like even says the, uh, what do you say, the power, something powerlessness, yeah powerlessness and rebelliousness right that smacks to me of you know workers of the world unite, we have a world to win and nothing to lose but our chains doesn't that sound like it that's as if it's like yeah, we're scornful of like the fact that we're put in this position and through our scorn, our hatred of you, the gods, like we take our secret revenge
1: is that denial of um the natural rising of super super intelligent people? And then creating a hierarchy. Like you can, I don't don't know how to say this without sounding weird, but um, people can continually try to, I I don't know how to put it. People can try to continually exterminate certain races, (laughs) I'll say certain races, because of their natural higher intelligence juice. (laughs) But no matter what you do, no matter how you, many times they are taken away from those power positions, they always rise back up because it is their intelligence that got them there in the first place. So same as this like rebellious nature of um, viewing the people up top, Zeus, as resentfully as he views them. And being envious and jealous of the position. Now, of course, you know, Zeus is different, but if you think of it in terms of the world, people who get to such a level of higher status, they got there out of intelligence. Yes, sometimes helping, a lot of the times being helped by other people, but they had to be so intelligent to get up there.
0: Yeah, this, I mean, to me, this max of the Nietzschean Untermensch. Right, um, and what uh, the Nietzsche and Untermensch is, is like the, it's like the last man, like the last man is what man will become before the great wars and destruction because he becomes so weak, um, and he becomes weak and he's resentful and he looks at those who do better than him and he looks at the world that he's a part of and the things that he can't do anything about and because he does not have power, he hates, right? And his whole morality is centered around um, this bitterness, this scorn, this will to vengeance, and that to me is is what that's really what I get from Camus now, like if we read like a paragraph later, he suddenly talks about Sisyphus being happy, but it's an entire contradiction of the fact of his elevated consciousness and his scorn, right, and his uh awareness of the unfairness and the it's
1: completely um, oxymoronic. It doesn't make any sense.
0: No, but i I think you know we mentioned before, he, Camus very well may be trying to hide the fact that he is because he would have read he did read Nietzsche. You can tell he mentions Nietzsche quite a lot he read Kierkegaard, as well as all the other existentialists essentially that we would call him now, who came before him. Part of me thinks that he's that that uh, Camus is aware. That he does not possess within him, the power of will that someone like Kierkegaard or Nietzsche might bring. Right, so he he has
1: fixed mindset versus growth mindset. I think that's super simple way of
0: explore that more. Like, what about Camus? Does he reveal in the Myth of Sisyphus as being his mindset being fixed, and how might it be different if it was more growth oriented?
1: Now, obviously, it's. The God part, well, that doesn't, but I always relate it back to, um, how the world is. So, um, the people who are jealous and envious of people in higher positions who have, like, higher status, higher, like, income and everything, um, you could be resentful. It could drive you to being resentful towards those people, um, but those people view it as I cannot get there because... of insecurities and a lack of discipline to develop themselves. But if they viewed those higher positions as attainable because they knew that those other people got there through developing discipline in themselves and continually working towards something, even if it seemed like it was never going to get there or they were never going to get there, but they kept working towards it until they did, they would view those people as inspirational because they would know that they could get there too. Yeah. Mu is, he's envious. So,
0: yeah. I don't think he's just envious of people. I think he's, because he, 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 in Sisyphus, he fixates so much. I mean, the, the myth is about the gods. But when he's talking about the gods, I think he's talking about um, the order of the universe, like the laws of physics how reality works the intractable laws that emerge like society even um and he has this fixation with both feeling that he is in control and therefore like making himself his own god like if i if i if i read later on um he talks about sisyphus having a fate of his own making and that is kind of true but it's I'll, I'll I'll read this bit. So all Sisyphus is silent to joy. So he's saying, again, silent joy. He's It has to be silent because there's no hint that there's any joy in the myth. The myth is actually quite explicit that Sisyphus is not in a, in a state of joy. He's actually in a state of misery after being punished for committing multiple crimes in his mortality. It's contained therein. His fil- His fate belongs to him. His rock is his thing. Likewise, the absurd man, when he contemplates his torment, silences all the idols. In the universe, suddenly restored to its silence, the myriad wondering little voices of the earth rise up. Unconscious secret calls, invitations from all the faces, they are the necessary reverse and price of victory. There's a lot, to be honest, about what I'd call like French fluff. When we read French philosophers, they do this. Uh, where they just start waxing not exactly nonsense but they make it extremely difficult for you to read with the writing but if i go bit by bit his fate belongs to him in a sense yeah he did so his own fate but if you know the myth it's like you were dragged into hell that you kept trying to escape and you kept trying to escape the conditions of life like but you got dragged there by the gods so the order of the universe put you in the position that you're in. Now you got yourself there, but you got yourself there in an attempt to defy it, Sisyphus. So yeah, you, and that's yeah.
1: that's why I think Camus tries to elevate and idealize Sisyphus's sacrifice, which isn't a sacrifice because he was forced into doing this, but he tries to idealize and frame Sisyphus as a martyr that's like happy to do this torturous thing forever. But he doesn't view it that way, not even Sisyphus views it that way.
0: Yeah. It's like this it reminds you like a massive cope. Like it's someone who's like, I'm a tough gangster and then you get locked up in prison and then you're like tortured and like raped by the other prisoners. And then all of a sudden you say, No man, I'm meant to be in here. This prison's my (laughs) prison. It's like no, I'm serious. That's what it's like, isn't it? And it's this massive coat on the part of Camus. To now, if you're gay,
1: and you want to be there. I mean, <laughs> like this is fucking uh, great. <laughs>
0: maybe, but like, but that's what I'm getting from this. Is it's, it's a, and I think this is Camus' outlook because he has this, um, Luciferian impulse. Why do I say Luciferian? Well, he calls the universe absurd. I have a huge issue with the absurdists. I find them to be quite arrogant because to say that the universe is absurd is to say that you know how it should be. And my question is, from what vantage point do you have to judge the entirety of the universe as being not as it ought to be? The only way you could do that is to frame yourself as a god. And the only people who do that are people who have this um, intonation toward gnosis. And here I'm going to go down the gnosis train, everybody. If you've gone down this bef- pathway before with me, you're going to go down it again. So the idea is, he talked about consciousness, right? Well, if you become conscious, then you you suddenly see the truth. What is the truth? The truth is the way things are, aside from our mere perception of them. Like there's this higher understanding now, well, who came up with a term for this higher understanding? Hello, Hegel. Um, Hegel did. He called it Vernut as appo- opposed to Verstand. So Verstand was mere understanding, but Vernut was like this revealed knowledge to reflection on the thing. And I think that's what Camus thinks he has. So I think, you know, if you got one of these fucking depressed French philosophers smoking their goddamn cigarette in their shitty ass apartment, writing shit that no one's reading because like that's what all these fuckers were doing. And he's kind of miserable, and he's questioning, like, what is the meaning of my own existence? I go around, and I travel, and I see all these people, and they seem to be happy. But I cannot be happy. And, like, maybe they're just happy because they think they don't care about life. Because that is my interpretation. And, and it, they're I, also Russian. <laughs> I, I think there's a rather French. If I, was, if I was Russian, I would have a little bit thicker accent. Yes, um, a little. But, yeah, funny. so you've got these, these, like, miserable French dudes, like, just smoking in his in his run-down studio apartment. Which is almost me, except they don't smoke. Um, But they're resentful, and they feel like I figured it out. But but why is the world not delivering itself to me, even though I figured it out? And then in that, in their arrogance, they say, "Well, the world just must be ridiculous because if it made sense, things would be going my way."
1: Well, this is the thing. I think um, people view the world as absurd until they discover life's meaning and then once they discover life's meaning and they understand everything has a reason and won't not a reason but um I, I, just you know it the life's meaning part of just being like life is just to reproduce cell on a cell level you know um
0: that's yeah. The evolutionary psycho- psychological or functional perspective is that, well, what does what is the telos of life? What is the function? I always like use function rather than purpose, because if I say the word purpose, you all out there on the internet will impart subjectivity into it and say, well, different people have different purposes. And it's like that's true, but different things have functions, whether or not there are subjects to detect those functions. Yeah. And so, what is the function or the telos, the end? And result of living beings, not just human beings, and they um, they they produce themselves and reproduce themselves and sustain their their existence through slightly altered iterations, in adaptation to their environments. Right. So it's like Dar- very Darwinian perspective. Um,
1: and I think in this way about what we were talking about. Um yesterday about vikings before they became religious and then they got married and stuff like that um i don't know if Camus had kids or not doesn't sound like it he sounds pretty depressed um if he is just continuously like some french do at least um indulging and traveling and having a job that he deludes himself into thinking is fulfilling Without supporting other people, without passing down his knowledge to the next generation, he is gonna view life writing his work, everything that everybody does as absurd because to him it all has no purpose because he has he's not fulfilling his purpose.
0: Yeah, it's he's failed to do what Nietzsche highlights, um right at the beginning of Will to Power, which is a collection of notes that never got published during his lifetime. And there's some iffy stuff in Will to Power because I think it never got all fleshed out. And I don't know when a lot of it was written because it was edited by his sister who was a Nazi. And so <laughs> so like you got to take things with grains of salt when you read yeah. Will to Power. But at the beginning, he talks about this crossroads that you reach as a pessimist. And in one road takes you into either nihilism or totalitarianism right um where you essentially see the world as pointless and i think honestly the absurdists are just a form of nihilists mm-hmm. they, that's what they are they're they're nihilists masquerading themselves as something else yeah um and then obviously you have the totalitarians those were the oppressive regimes of the 20th century the nazis and the soviets um and all the other communist hellholes that came after because fascism fell pretty fast after you know i guess in italy it was there for a bit but in spain but the other road nietzsche takes is that life-affirming road and that jumps over this absurdity so life is a tragedy that's the pessimism and what do you do about it and what nietzsche says is like you say yes to the tragedy And I think what that does is uh, maybe it's because I'm a hard union, but it turns it into the hero's journey because what it says is, okay, yeah, you got to go in the underworld because you're insufficient and you don't stack up to the world. But then when you go into it and you embrace it, then it transforms you. And when it transforms you, you become better shaped to fit the world that you're in and then you can act out a little bit more of your will because you've gained power. But you gain the power through the through the discipline and the suffering. And then you, it's just very hermetic, but essentially you transmute the lead into gold, but you do that first through acknowledging the fact that you yourself are insufficient, which is exactly the opposite of what the absurdists are doing. So they're encountering their own powerlessness and saying, well, if I'm powerless, then therefore there's something wrong with the world because I should be powerful. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you're weak and you're pathetic and you're not willing to look at it and you think that you're conscious. and But really, the, the error might be, you, like if I'm talking to... Um, to they're in, go, ahead, go ahead. They're
1: in denial about pain's um, just... Alright, let's phrase it. Essential part in life. They're like, I am in pain. And I love that quote that um pain plus resistance is suffering. Absurdists are just choosing to be in constant suffering, and then also claiming that they're higher morally for it. You know?
0: Yeah, and it's that, that the arrogance of thinking that. Okay, so you've got some elevated consciousness, and assuming that that's all the elevated consciousness that you that you ever will have without acknowledging that every time that you learn something new, you should realize that there are a million more things that actually are beyond your your knowledge and understanding, like if I was a Taoist, you recognize i wanna every time I learn something, I realize how ignorant I am,
1: yeah, yeah, the smarter people become, the more. Humble they get ideally unless actually unless they they um hyper educate in one specific field and then it makes them dumb to all the relating fields that fill in the gaps, but then they have this inflated sense that they understand. do you know what I'm talking about? You yeah. can become over educated to where you can't relate it to other subjects i
0: I, I have a couple of aphorisms, one that was popular over on minds.com. That's called why I hate scientists. Mm. Um, these are those, the, the why I hate series are meant to be ironic. By the way, the first one was why I hate poets. And I wrote it in verse for a <laughs> reason. And if you know me, I tend to, I, I, I might be a poet in a sense. Uh, JJ can attest. Yes. Um, but the why I hate scientists is because like, you motherfuckers aren't scientific half the time, mm. right? Like they, They can do like a study, and then they go and look at the rest of the world. They look at even science outside of their field, and they don't look at it with the same level of skepticism as they would, as they necessarily need to to be proper scientists. They arrogantly assume, well, I know what I'm talking about because I'm, uh, you know, specialized in a field.
1: That's why it's extremely hard to actually gain like true unbiased knowledge because even what they're choosing to study, the angle at which they come at whatever they are trying to figure out already is a bias in itself.
0: Yeah, and you see that quite a lot. I think that's what we're seeing here with Camus ultimately, right? That's that's why he relates, I think, so much to Sisyphus um, is because I think Camus... And I think this is perhaps true of the absurdists all deep down. I think that they know that they aren't really great people, that they they lack something and they're unwilling to be honest with themselves. And they think that I should be it's the
1: world, on. it's not me. Yeah.
0: You know, and I've experienced this right when I right when I graduated. Uh, my undergraduate degree. I got a degree in exercise physiology. It took me five years to get it. Um, and I went out into the world, you know, a, a young undergraduate and thought I should be able to get a job that pays somewhat decently. I shouldn't, you know, be starting out on the bottom rungs of society because I went through this whole education. And I found out the hard way, nope, <laughs> right? You have almost no more in fact perhaps fewer marketable skills than someone who didn't go to university
1: yeah because during that five years the experience gained in a direct job in the span of five years could have been vast yeah i I thought the same thing um
0: yeah and so when you when you realize that you have to you have a confrontation with yourself and what i did is Um, Not that I didn't lament about it, I did, but I came to say to myself, I am useless. I didn't go around and say, the society is broken. The whole universe is broken. It shouldn't be this way. it, It made me realize, oh, I actually have to work way, way, way harder to be worth something.
1: Yeah, you have to start from the bottom and still, even with a degree.
0: Yeah, and it's the same thing. Like when I got my master's degree, but now at that time I was under no illusion that that master's degree meant anything, um, and it fundamentally doesn't by itself. It's 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 worthless by itself.
1: Um, it was experience gained.
0: Yeah, as long as I then apply that, well, yeah, and keep yeah. relearning. Um, and I think uh, you know, you listeners out there might experience this for yourself because you know we all go through. I think we all do. We all are confronted with these big existential questions and we all answer them in different ways. Um, you know, some of us answer them with religion and I have a lot of religious friends and I don't begrudge them that at all. Um, even though I myself am not, but I get it because, I mean, to be honest, that's preferable than what we come with with saying the universe is absurd. Cause if the guy who comes up to me says, oh, well, no, um, you know, the, the meaning I get in life, is to fulfill the will of God, and what God wants for me is to um, have a family, multiply, be a honorable and loyal husband, and to worship him and do good in his name. It's like, okay, like...
1: As long as you operate in that way, and instead of focusing on the revelations, which a lot of old people hating their life... View current society as oh well I'm gonna be beamed up, and all of this won't matter soon because world's ending, and therefore my actions don't really matter because I'm you know
0: yeah well those people um this reminds me of a conversation I had with Adam Mick and we concluded that what those people are doing is they are taking God's name in vain. For those of you listening, what does that mean? Well, vain is vanity. So it's like putting on God's name as a mask to justify one's own actions. And well, one does that when one wants to say, well, it doesn't matter whether or not I fulfill my moral purpose um, because in the end I'm going to be like rescued out the back. But what that's doing actually is making the same mistake that Camus making. It doesn't seem like it, but I'll explain and you Let me know what you think about this, JJ. So it's a problem of pride and arrogance, hence the reference to vanity. If I think that my understanding of theology or my understanding of the universe is the correct one, I have the gnosis, I have the knowledge, I have the, the perfect right belief, and I know that I am necessarily saved and that and, or I know that I'm necessarily right, I am the correct one then what I'm not doing is I'm not saying, I don't know. I'm not saying when I'm being that arrogant that I need some form of guidance. I'm not saying that there is something outside of me that knows better for me to which I I have to answer to. Uh, And what that does is it leads one to turn away, turn against life. Right, so or turn away against God, which is kind of the same. It's not kind of. I actually think it's literally the same thing, because if you say, if you say I don't know, and I I compare it to, you know, the great course of things, the way, right, the world, the universe, to to God, whatever you want to call it. Like if I say I am I am insufficient, standing up to it, then I need to change myself so that I move in accord with it, so I I live according to God's will, or that I act in accord with how the universe really is, Like how, and I'm trying to figure out how I should act morally. I'm not assuming that I know, and then I'm also assuming that the Always right...
1: open to changing once you discover something yeah. you're doing is wrong, possibly, that there is a better way.
0: Yeah, and that's that growth mindset yeah. you mentioned before, but I think the opposite is that, fixed. Yeah. Right. When I know and therefore the universe is wrong. Therefore God is wrong. Therefore I am right. Yeah. And and this world is wrong.
1: Yeah. And to tie it back into um, Camus and how he believes that the gods and these higher authorities are actually morally wrong for coming down on Sisyphus and also to, to relate it to people, all these people who are um in these jobs that are that seem meaningless and that they are somehow morally superior for continually engaging in it despite it putting them through immense suffering and existential crisis that um, somehow they are morally superior for choosing to do it.
0: Well, Nietzsche would say that what they're trying to do is make their low position glamorous. Yeah. Right. Which th- there's a couple interpretations, right? Like, um, you know, I-, I mentioned this when we-, we took a walk, I think yesterday, um, we we're talking about life paths and like this idea of the way. And you can very well look at yourself and say, okay, my life path is doing whatever it is, right? I'm reading the novel Musashi, and he talks a lot about like the way of the sword. So being a swordsman is my whole existence and perfecting this skill is what I find meaningful in life and I'm pursuing this and giving my all to this. And that's okay. Um and if you're doing it, that's great. But Camus qualifies that these people who are working, that Sisyphus is the like archetype proletarian what he says is that necessarily their condition is wretched and i think he has already put his attitude toward turning away there there is no living a life worthwhile when you have that attitude right because you're looking at the work that you're doing and saying it's meaningless it's it's not what i wanted instead of saying what the opposite attitude is what is it that I can do? Like what's within my realm of possibility that I would admire myself if I did? That I would come to find meaning if I did. Um it's in fact someone who's chosen to do something they find no meaning in and is just toiling there.
1: Yeah. Like I I would view a worker in today's society or any any time if they have or when they have these jobs that directly the meaning is maybe you know to a lot of people like oh it's meaningless i i can't think of anything because really all jobs have a purpose they all serve some function but maybe in direct relation to them if the purpose is to support their family they can find meaning in that and this is why the Sisyphus thing doesn't make any sense viewing him morally in any way because it is a punishment. He's not doing it to save himself or anybody he loves or anybody just in general. He's just serving out a punishment unwillingly
0: Yeah, because
1: he doesn't want to be there and he just dragged out and then he has to go back. So he would be a moral virtuous person if he was actually doing some type of job for someone else or for some higher purpose, but he's not.
0: Yeah, and he can't do it for a higher purpose because he hates the damn gods.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like,
0: I think that's a really key element. He's
1: doing it resentfully <laughs> the whole time.
0: Yeah, and that's part of the story. Um, because, like, when we talk about the gods, we're talking about, like, the those things that are the order of the universe, the way that nature is set up. Um our nature as human beings, particularly the Greek gods, because a lot of the time they represent particular emotions that we have. So like, he's not even doing this in service of his own passions and biology. It's not even, not even that as base as that might be. He is, he's, he's cast there finally by Hermes. I think it's relevant um, because what that means for those of you don't know, Hermes or Mercury, if we're using the Roman name for him, um, this is the messenger of the gods and Hermes is also the name of the person who I think is is like the God in the beginning of the Corpus Hermeticum who speaks the truth to, to Hermes. And that's why it's her, like, uh, hermetic, I, I guess, I don't want to call it philosophy. It's more like weird theology, occultism, right? But, um, alchemy is fundamentally hermetic. It comes from the name Hermes, from the guy who's named after the god Hermes. Um, and why is Hermes relevant? He is, Because he's the messenger, he is the go between, between that which is higher and that which is lower, mankind and, and the gods. And he represents in union psychology, the, the essentially the higher potential self. Hermes is interrelated with that in the same way that mercury was believed to be able to be transmuted to create the elixir of eternal life via the philosopher's stone which the creation of the philosopher's stone was really about transforming your own soul so that you look at life to make meaning out of suffering right turn lead into gold um, turn mercury which is a terrible poison which will drive you mad which is sort of like suffering, right? That's what existential suffering is. It's mercury. But can that, that can also, instead of driving you mad, be transformed into a substance which grants eternal life, which means that you're living life in the moment which means you're not dreading, right? You are engaged in the path. You are on the way of taking it to a kind of Taoist perspective. It's probably the reason why the Taoists, some of the Taoists also tried to do alch- alchemy and create the elixir of eternal life, is that they were playing with the same metaphors. They thought they were literal. But in terms of the story with Sisyphus, the fact that the higher potential self condemned him for his crimes, where he 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 tricked Hades and got Hades, I think it was Hades. It's some myth myth. I think it was Persephone, Persephone maybe, but got the god chained to the rock so that people stopped dying. There's some lessons that's like when you try to to take control of fate, and you try to take matters of life and death into your own hands and think that you get to play god like you know better. Or that you can, at the very least, escape the natural fate of all mankind. Again, because you know better, because you think the way the universe is set up is absurd. Uh, the result is Aries will be called down. It means war will happen. And then your higher potential self will cast you into hell, where you'll suffer meaninglessness for eternity. And that's like your conscience coming up and dragging you into an existential hell which is, I think, exactly probably where Camus is.
1: Well, so exactly off what you're talking about, I think I realize how Camus is directly projecting his attempt at asserting that he's moral just for basically not ending it. This is how the suicide thing relates back in. Despite him suffering and despite him believing that life is meaningless because he currently at least isn't pursuing meaning or he doesn't feel that he has a purpose, he is trying to justify and pretend that he's moral just for not committing suicide.
0: I like that. The reason I like that is because I think maybe he thinks that he deserves it. Yeah, he deserved. It. He, you know, he mentions Dostoevsky, like as if his work relates to Dostoevsky's, and maybe some of his other stuff that he's written. Because I've only read the collection of essays that that we that came with the book for the myths of Sisyphus that we both read. But with Dostoevsky, um, the idea is like actually the punishment that you receive is a relief right like you deserve like you read crime and punishment for instance like the book is a novel right crime and punishment uh raskolnikov suffers from his conscience until he's locked in prison and then because the proper order is imposed upon him for his crime of murder he can forgive himself and then get married after he gets out of jail and presumably have a family and live, live a purposeful life
1: because he interpreted his punishment as deserved instead of undeserved and remaining in that resentment and the victim mindset the victim mentality where you can't grow from that mentality you can adequately place blame and see where you're a victim but you have to especially for the crimes that Sisyphus did he's not he's refusing to face all that led him there And he's choosing to frame himself as a victim in every situation. And then he views his punishment as undeserved.
0: Yeah. It's so funny, though, because it's like, I'm in this wretched position against the gods, but then I'm going to, because I'm scornful of them, therefore I own it. And therefore, I'm not in punishment of the gods. It's
1: childlike defiance.
0: Yeah, again, yes. it's, it's the massive cope that we talked about before with the prisoner, right? Like, I'm locked in prison. No, I meant to be in here. Sour grapes, motherfucker. Like, because that's, that's what that is, right? It's total sour grapes. I didn't want to win anyway. It's like, yeah. bitch, you...
1: Post-facto justification.
0: Yeah, because like, for those of you who don't know, like, uh, Sisyphus, um, I can't remember how he escapes death the first time, but the second time... He he basically told his wife to throw his body out in the Market Square instead of <laughs> burying him when he died. And then he used that as an excuse to say, hey, I need to go berate my wife for not burying me properly. And then he goes and proceeds to do that when he escapes and then try to avoid being dragged back to death for forever. He's
1: like, actually, me telling you to do this was me testing your love.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he says that to her both times. Basically, it's like, if you truly love me, you'll throw me out in the market square. And then when he comes back, if you truly loved me, you would have buried me. And it's like this person, and I mean, think about the person who does that, right? The person who does that is in total contradiction with themselves. It doesn't matter what you do, it's never good enough for yes. that person. Yeah. Because the problem isn't you. It's, yeah, it's, it's the them. person.
1: Mm hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean we all have encountered someone who you cannot placate them. It does not matter how hard you try, because they're unsatisfied with themselves, they will see um all it of the actions projects
1: all of their insecurities and inadequacies onto you.
0: Yeah. And I mean and yeah, Sisyphus was that guy because he did things like violate guest right and like rob people on the seas and everything like obviously he's a mythological figure but even the stories that were told he's he's essentially evil and he's an evil character who got what he deserved and maybe really the reason why for the same reason we see i hate to say this make it modern and political but you see the modern woke types identifying with the villains quite a lot Mm. right they want to identify
1: anti-heroes yeah there's literally a taylor swift song anti-hero that mm, mm -mm.
0: yeah like they 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 want to be the villains and when they make films for instance the heroes of their films act like villains they don't act like heroes Mm -hmm. and i think that's a bunch maybe that's really the same existentialist nonsense where these people are Bad people, but they don't want to really recognize that they're bad, and so they blame the world, call the world silly, and then have it be responsible. But then also pretend they're taking it back like sour grapes, Mm -hmm. and they're they're actually miserable, miserable while they're pretending like no, we're. It's it's like when someone says the phrase "truth to power." I just want to hit that person, or speaking truth to power, right. Because the people who say that phrase, they are, to be honest, they're usually in a position of authority and power. Um, They're usually not saying something that's true. And they're usually not speaking to the power because the power structures don't listen like the other power structures are referring to. Don't give a damn about what they're saying anyway. The whole thing is a way of puffing oneself up and pretending that one is uh significant right it's this it's a it's a narcissistic lie
1: no offense but that makes me think of that's it's not offensive to you but um every every student at these um whenever ben shapiro goes and speaks and then every freaking person that talks to him and poses some question or is trying to debate him in some way and then it just never works yeah, they, it they has never they, works out. They're trying to high horse and then immediately get shut down.
0: Yeah, you see that with a lot of public speakers, where some young person will think I've got the question that'll stump him. Yes, and I've seen this with I've not Ben Shapiro. I've seen it with uh Jordan before he went off the deep end. I've even seen it with people like Maya and Yes,
1: especially him. Yeah,
0: you would have probably seen this back in the. Uh, new atheist days, mm-hmm. uh, before the new atheists basically went off the deep end, uh, which saddens me, but they did do that. I'm sorry guys, you you guys made mistakes. But you'd see that say if I listened to Richard Dawkins' talk and someone would think to ask him a question, um, like the classic one was well, like, what if you're wrong? He's like, Yeah, I might be wrong. What if you're wrong? There are a bajillion different gods, bajillion different interpretations of each of these gods. Like that question applies to everyone. Have yeah. you not thought that it could apply to you? Yeah. And then they would stand there, uh, um, And who who else have asked? Uh, like or the, uh, not to be to be mean to some of my creationist friends, but like the there were some creations who'd come up and they would start to try to cite like the laws of thermodynamics, uh, but they would say one of them. I think it's the second law that they didn't understand correctly about. Um, they basically didn't understand the difference between systems and surroundings and how the laws apply to systems that assume that there is it's a closed system without surrounding input coming into the system. And essentially you just ask them, well, what are the other laws of thermodynamics silence, right? Cause it's someone who thought I'm going to get you with a gotcha question, right? Um, it's, it's a front for someone who's puffing up and, we should talk about this before we end the conversation. This tendency to utilize uh, a form of sophistry in the, uh, by means of pathos. By pathos, I mean emotion. So I'm going to read a bit from the myth of Sisyphus. It's only uh, like a, not even a paragraph. See if I can, uh, I should be able to find it rather quickly, where he's describing Sisyphus push the boulder up. Um, let's see here on God this ispassable my is the price pay during returns it interests me oh yeah, here found it okay it is during that return that pause that says this interests me um oh wait no, this is not it. I'm sorry, I have to go back yeah, here it is certain here yeah here it is here it is long sentence. As for this myth, one sees merely the whole effort of a body straining to raise the huge stone, to roll it and push it up a slope a hundred times over. One sees the face screwed up, the cheek tight against the stone, the shoulder bracing the clay-covered mass, the foot wedging it, the fresh start with arms outstretched, the holy human security of two earth-clotted hands. Like, he, he... as an author, I just think I know what you're doing, Motherfucker. This is I do this every day he is he's digging into this deep, effortful description so he can make you imagine this image and it makes you look at Sisyphus as being someone to admire and to sympathize with and to see this toil and he's digging his you know, foot underneath the rock he's stretching his arms out you can imagine the muscled arms and dirt clotted hands he's rolling this massive boulder you imagine a man like a Greek statue like that's it's like cool right like oh yeah 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 Sisyphus yeah
1: if you don't know the backstory which is how we read it and or listen to it. Before we read the backstory, it was inspiring, again, thinking from the perspective of him doing it, doing something difficult despite it being difficult and then feeling joy, but knowing that he deserved and it was punishment, it takes away all that sympathy.
0: Yeah. And you know that he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Because he ran away twice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, so he's he's like a coward that's just forced into a position instead of a some hero that did it electively for a greater good.
0: And the the fact that he's being presented that way tells me that Camus is being a snake. Mm-hmm. He's being a snake. If you ever read, uh, listeners, uh, I don't know how you can, Michel Foucault. Um, so the beginning of, um, I think it is Discipline and Punish is this... I don't know if it's a chain of essays. I haven't gotten all the way through it. I've tried reading it. I got a few, like a hundred or so pages in. I have tried listening to it and I got so far in and I just got nauseated because it's the most boring. They all do this. But at the very beginning, Foucault does the same damn thing where he, in extensive detail, gruesome detail even, he describes his execution and he's very obviously really trying to play on your emotions. He's trying to get you to feel a particular way so that his long-winded and overcomplicated uh, you know, sentences. Now, this is in English, but in French, it would probably be this wistful language. It's kind of vague, like painting and broad. And you can tell it's like you're trying to freaking manipulate my emotions. This has nothing to do with logic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I don't know if the French are incapable of proper logic because of French. Um. I actually suspect there's something in that, that they that the French language itself is built around a way of thinking about the world that makes one prone to these errors. But I think Camus kind of knows that he's lying, that Camus is trying to get you to feel a way that you otherwise wouldn't feel if he didn't put the effort in. Um, and that, to me... It was a huge red flag, along with the idea about scorn being the ultimate victory, misreadings of Dostoevsky, um, the you know, na- like dropping proletarian. And I hope that it, maybe that was a translator who decided to translate it that way. But almost all the French existentialists were also socialists, and they're essentially they're all you know, Marxist who thought we could we could get it right this time, um, it was all really disappointing, or they were all nihilistic when they they came up with postmodernism. That's where it came from. You I always know.
1: like to in terms of though and in the intent I really think that people like Camus they truly are unaware and they are truly unconscious of I don't think he is trying to lie. I think he truly believes the feelings that he's trying to make the reader feel. And he's trying to assert that that is the correct response to this situation.
0: You have a much more kind heart than Mm -hmm. I do. I have a much more vicious interpretation. Uh, And this is why JJ is my fiance, because otherwise I drive myself into a maddening fit feeling like, everyone is evil um
1: it's that yeah. whole thing though of, like even villains they believe you know that they are good
0: most of the or a lot of them i do think there are villains. there are some
1: just revenge and it is just like defiant well i could see how you could see him that way yeah but
0: yeah well I think that was a as a good cherry on top, a good bow to the conversation about the myth of Sisyphus in a bit of armchair psychology on uh Albert, not Al Albus, he's not Dumbledore, Camus. Um yeah, I'll say
1: one last thing. Go,
0: go right ahead.
1: Is not morally you're not moral enough just to not commit suicide. That's yeah. not enough.
0: For those of you who don't know where that comes from, in the collection of essays, he rants on and on and on and on about uh, not understanding why man doesn't isn't driven to suicide. Yes. Um and ultimately at my memory if my memory serves, his whole thing is instead of Kierkegaard, he's uh, that's the one I remember the most. He compares himself to a bunch of other existentialist philosophers who came before. But particularly he doesn't like he, he says, I'm not like Kierkegaard. I don't think that it's right that I could love the very thing that's oppressing me, which is reality mm-hmm. is what he means is oppressing him um he ends up looking at i have to be in revolt
1: yes it literally says on the back of the book um does acknowledging the absurd compel one to commit suicide camus responds no re- no revolt is needed so no Revolt is needed. Yeah. He believes that revolt is needed instead of acceptance of the world and trying to do your part in fitting in and become a moral contributing member of society. He does not believe that is true. He's is- wants to go to war with the world and how it exists
0: yeah i bet he was not able to form i don't know about the background of Camus. i should have studied it before this so someone in the comments below if you're listening to this on youtube let us know that i don't know what i'm talking about but um i'm willing to bet like rousseau and like all these other people he was unable to successfully form relationships why do i say that this is perhaps a bit controversial but i'll say it anyway so it's as like, if you're a man learning and Nietzsche, made this comparison over and over again, and he goes spot on learning to love women for being women and being feminine is in a similar way is similar to in metaphor, learning to love the world and reality because reality doesn't operate according to how you want the logical procedures to go. Like you think, okay, I'm a man logos rather than, um, I believe it is eros in the union, like the union words for it. The primary uh, force, emotional force—not really emotional. It's the wrong way to say it. Psyche is built up for women as eros, as emotion, as opposed to logos, which is logic. And as a man, you think like I know how things should go, and this makes sense. And then if you think that way and you try to get along with your wife, you're going to be miserable. And if you try to look at the world that way, you're going to be miserable. And yeah. I guarantee you, if you go and look at the world, like, no, we must, we're like, uh, do my French accent, we must revolt uh, revolt against the, the way of being and look at scornfully. It's like, yeah, good good luck not looking at, let's say, if you're a man, women and being scornful of the fact that they don't act and think the way that you want them to because they're not men. Mm-hmm. And then if you're a woman, you're going to have, and, and if perhaps a woman and a feminist, guess who else you're going to be mad at? Men. For yes. not acting like women. Hmm. I don't know maybe I'm onto something, maybe not. I
1: think it's just ungrateful on both sides of those.
0: Yeah, and gratitude. They yeah. do not love yeah being, right? They, you know, again it comes back to Nietzsche. Supposing truth were a woman, truth being being itself, that is which is. Uh can you can you as a philosopher learn to love this woman? Can you get her to love you? Can you catch, can you woo her? Like it's difficult. But yeah, I think Kierkegaard had it right. You love that, right? And he thought of it as God. And I want say, I think Kierkegaard was right. And I think Nietzsche was right. And I think Camus was wrong. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Anything else you want to say, JJ? Nope, I'm good. All right, listeners. If you made it to the end of this podcast, thank you very much. There will be more to come. We are going to be talking about all kinds of things, maybe more fil- books and essays and philosophy. I don't know, maybe just random things in life. Probably those too. Uh, but before you go, I'll send you back to wildislelit.com where you can support my Kickstarter campaign. I won't give you the whole spiel again. I'd really appreciate though if you're able to support, spread the word. Check out my short stories uh, and excerpts and essays on my website, wildislelit.com. Again, and also my editing service, which also serves as a kind of mentorship. And it, that's why I call it the Style Guide and read my other fiction and everything else, podcast aphorisms. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.